Morning Legacy. Before we move through the Bible together this morning, I thought I'd bring a quick announcement piece to you. This is uh, the best way I can maybe communicate with everybody at the same time. Um, and that is something I'd love for us to do as a church, uh, to be helpful for each other in more of an Acts 2 type of a situation and really helpful for our city. You see, I've been getting a couple calls here or there from various people looking for a place to park their stimulus check. It, it doesn't really shock me. We've got some impressive people at Legacy. We've got some very impressive missionaries, and I think it's a very, very generous and benevolent thing to even consider. Um, but if you have a stimulus check that you don't need or a piece of it that you don't need, maybe God has been kind to you as he has been to the people that have called me and financially you're not under deep strain or struggle. And if you have that money, you'd like to give to a family that is in deep need, but maybe you don't know who that family is. You just suspect, like the people who've called, that there probably are families who have lost work or have been furloughed and there are soon to be in positions where they have to decide between utilities and food or rent and insurance. They're having to make some hard, hard decisions. If that's you, we have a fund set up just for that. And if you go to the front page of LegacyKnoxville.com and you scroll down, you will see it's called Benevolence Fund. Now, previously we called it the COVID-19 fund, but we understand that these funds will probably sweep a little bit wider than people who have COVID-19. So we don't want to encode that fund um, to be more specific than it really is. So if that's you and you want to give a piece of your check or if you want to give all of your check to the needs of others, that's what we're going to be doing as a church. We'll have a committee put together of people who will kind of do some recon and find out who it is that needs help, how bad do they need this help, and how much money do we have as a church where we can be helpful for them. So if this is you, I would love for you to consider that and maybe consider it with this guidance. If you have a check and you don't need any of it, or you don't need a portion of it, consider giving maybe a third of it to your, your personal neighborhood or your missional community's mission, where you and your family can pray and discern where the need is and give some of that money. Maybe put a third of it in savings, because you have no idea what's gonna happen in three months. Um, and then maybe give a third of it to the benevolence fund that we have at Legacy. That way we can relocate that money for you in an area that we know and have seen and assess need for. So I just want you to, to prayerfully consider that. Um, and then the second little bit before we move on is that we do have an open house tonight. So an open house is basically a Zoom forum where we are all getting together. It gives us a moment to encourage each other. I love to bring a quick word of encouragement, be accessible for updates, and then pray with you. Um, they've been good in the past. We didn't do one last week because it was Easter. Um, we're going to do one this week, and I'm excited about it. So if you need the link for that and you didn't get it in your inbox, you can scroll down also on the front page of our website, which is becoming the hub for all of us, and you will see the open house button. You can press on that, and it will drop you right in the waiting room for that Zoom. And so that's it. That's all the announcements I had for you. I want to move in and say that I am not the one preaching today. Randy Little is going to address you today in a very, very key area. Um, I'm excited that someone not me is addressing you today. We have a pastoral residency, uh, a pocket of young men that we're hoping to add more men to as time goes on, where we build into leaders, leaders that will lead in the marketplace, in the church, and in beyond. And we are excited to have moments like this where they can address you. You see, we didn't put that pastoral residency on pause because of the pandemic. This is the best laboratory for proving good leadership. 
leadership that can lead people into uncharted areas. And so we just kept cranking through that. So Randy is a part of this pastoral residency, and I'm excited about the content of the message that he's going to bring to you. So be sure to take notes. Um, and if you get a chance and you have the ability, let him know if it encouraged you. Um, if it led you to see Jesus more clearly and his gospel more compellingly, it'd be good for you to let him know because this, speaking into a camera lens, is pretty, it's pretty terrifying for a lot of people. This is not the stage. And so be sure to encourage him if you get the chance. Other than that, I look forward to seeing you tonight in the open house. God bless you. Have a great day. Uh, good morning, Legacy Church. My name is Randy Little. For those who do not know me, and it's an honor to speak to you today. We're going to talk today about a living hope. And so, but before we get into it, I want to recap just how crazy, I mean, it's what we already know, just how crazy life has been recently. And so it's been crazy at the grocery store. For the first time in my life, I saw toilet paper sold out. My wife went to the grocery store and had to call me and say, Randy, there's no chicken, there's no hamburger. And then later on, there was no board games. No hair, um, you know, dyes and hair supplies, clippers. And so it's just been crazy what the grocery store has been sold out of. And then you have the stock markets. If you've been following stock markets, you know that they've been crazy. We've seen a 30% drop in value. That for years and years and years, everything went up and up and up and up and up. And then all of a sudden, within like a week, two weeks, boom, 30% drop. And that's a big deal. For us who retire, or we, uh, we depend on the stock markets to grow our wealth for retirement. And then you have the death of the coronavirus itself. That so far in the United States, um, when I was putting this sermon together, it's greater now, but there was 25,000 people who have currently died from the coronavirus. And so that is a lot of death. And so with all these, these uh problems, there's a lot of hopes that come with them. We hope to not get sick. We hope for economic stimulus. But it's my prayer today that as we talk through hopes, that we find ourselves as Christians hoping in the finished work of Christ and the eternal home that he will call us home to. So I want to tell you a story about when this particular hope was such a big deal in my family's life. It's when my wife was first pregnant in the spring of 2019. It was 4 a.m. when my wife woke me up, and she took a pregnancy test while I was still sleeping. And she woke me up, and she told me the news that we were pregnant, and we celebrated. We were so excited about our new baby. And then we celebrated Mother's Day, and I was a father, and I felt that for the first time in my life. I'm a dad. And we made plans for our little baby of what the future would be like. Until one day, God gave us a trial. And my wife came home, and she had been bleeding for the first time. And then we called our doctor, and they said, just rest. And so we rested. And then, but the bleeding didn't stop. And so we go to the hospital, and we wait there. We get there, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's like 10 o'clock. And we wait until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And finally, we get an ultrasound, and we realize, we hear the news for the first time that our baby had passed away, that we lost our child. And I had to leave that hospital, and we were broken. And I left that hospital having to reconcile 
that I was the dad who did not get to hold my child alive. We were the parents who lost our first child. And like I said, we were devastated. We were sad. We were broken. And we're still sad and broken today. But at the same time, we were comforted by a living hope. And it was this, that God is still good even in this trial. I knew He was still good. And there's a world to come that has no miscarriage, has no death, no loss, no disease. And I longed for that world because I knew this world is broken. This world is full of miscarriage and loss. But there's a better world to come, and I was comforted by that hope. And so, um, yeah, we want to talk about hope today. And so let me define hope for us. Hope is the confident expectation of a future result based on a reliable source. That's what the, maybe the Webster's definition is. Uh, and so it's that, hey, you are hoping for something, that you are confident that something is going to happen in the future, and it's, it's based on a, a reliable source. And so we hope commonly for what we want. We all know this. You know, we hope for what we want. And, um, but sometimes our hopes are reliable. Sometimes they're not reliable. So sometimes I just want, I'm hoping in a sunny day tomorrow. And it might be reliable, might not be. But if I hear Matt Hinkin from the Channel 6 News say, hey, tomorrow's going to be a sunny day, then I can begin to hope, because I have a source that has said, hey, tomorrow's going to be like this. And I can, I can trust that source. And I can look forward to the sunny day I'm about to have tomorrow. Because it's a credible source. But we all know that meteorologists are not the most credible sources. We've all experienced that. And so our hopes are only as good as the credible source. So let's dive into 1 Peter 1, 3-9, and let's hear what Peter has to say about this living hope. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance as imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I love this passage. This is one of the first passages I memorized as a Christian. And it is so powerful to me for two reasons. One, it's very theological. Okay? And it's this. This is the theology you can glean from this passage is that God is the initiator of all things, especially my salvation. It says, Blessed be God, praise be to God, that according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. And so it's just this idea that we as God's creation, we can never get in front of God. God is always the first cause. He is the initiator. He is the beginner. And we are on the receiving end. And so, yeah, like I said, it, this shows and too, it proves that in salvation, God's heart is kind. That it's in God's mind. God thinks up salvation. It's His idea. Jesus comes. He lives a perfect life. He dies. And I'm not even in the picture. I'm not even born yet. But God does this act. 
And then later on, He initiates my salvation by opening my eyes to see Christ. And I'm just the receiver of what Christ has done for me. And so He is the initiator. And Paul, he agrees with Peter. And he says in Romans eleven thirty six, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Paul says, For from God and through God and to God are all things. It's this idea that from God are all things. So, God is in control. He is the initiator of all things. And then two, it reminds us of our sure hope for the believer. It says this, it says that He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That looking at Jesus, we have a hope. Because Jesus died, but He defeated death. He rose from the the grave and is now alive. And so there is hope found in Christ. He is the one who defeats death. And then he's the one that's also that's promising that gives us this um, inheritance. It says that inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. That is just incredible language. Something that lasts forever, is not broken, has not been defiled. And it's just, it's, like I said, it's unfading. So, uh, the problem is, though, you have to die to get it. And that's the part that we don't like. Because we, we kind of say, I, I was just thinking, like, I don't know anybody. Why do I not like the fact that I have to die to receive this inheritance? And part of it is that, hey, I don't know anybody who's died and said, hey, yeah, this is, this is true. Like, I died, and then I, 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 um, I met the Lord, and it was good. It was better. But there are people who have died and rose back to life. And Jesus is the number one. Okay, and so um, there are people, we, we know Christ, that he has died and he has risen from the dead. And he shows there is life after death. And this inheritance is rich. Like I said, the Bible describes a new earth uh, where the nations experience healing. There's great beauty, precious stones. Um, there's, it's just light, full of light. No darkness. Um, our physical bodies are better in every way. We experience the right emotions all the time. We experience the right senses and perfect senses. We are nearest to God, a God who loves us, who cares for us perfectly. No more sin in this new home. No more striving against sin. It's a permanent home. And therefore, Paul says... For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain, because Jesus is our hope. And so Peter goes on, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genius of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, it's, Paul, or Peter is bringing us back to this idea that God is the initiator of all things. He is in control of all things. And He sometimes, He deems it necessary that we go through various trials in order that our faith, our, the genius of our faith would be tested. And the result is praise and glory and honor 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's for our good, but God is in control, and He deems trials necessary at times. And when I go through trials, various trials of all, all types, my hopes are revealed and tested. And that's what we want to talk about today, is that when we take a sober look at our lives, a sober look at what we are expecting to happen in the future, um, Maybe, maybe not, we're not looking at this great salvation that Christ has accomplished for us. Maybe we're not looking to this great inheritance. If we're being honest, we're probably just hoping that the stock market will go back up, that our economy will continue to be great. We'll be able to buy what we want. We won't be foreclosing on any houses. Maybe we're hoping that the coronavirus will just end, that we don't have to worry about us getting sick, our kids getting sick, um, our grandparents or parents getting sick. We just want it to be over. Uh, maybe we're just preoccupied with the here and now. And so, like I said, when trials come our way, our hopes are revealed. What we want is revealed. The desires of our hearts are shown. And um, There's two places that we commonly place our hopes in. One is we place our hopes in control. So let me define control. We believe in hope and our ability to control and make our version of the future a reality. When we hope to control something, we say, hey, in the future, I want the future to look like this, and I'm able to make it look like that. I'm able to accomplish this thing that I desire and I want. And I was just looking at some stuff on the internet, and I looked up this page called the National Institute of Health. And they mention these individuals called healthy individuals. And it's, it's those people, people who are healthy individuals are the people who they just believe that they can make whatever their version of the future, they want a reality. And they go after it. They run after it. And I would say that they're falling off one side of the wagon. But here's a good example. Is, here's why. is Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is a man who the, the National Institute of Health would say is a healthy individual. He runs after what he wants. But one day, God gave a trial to Steve Jobs, something that was out of his control. And it was in 2003, his doctors did a routine CAT, a routine CAT scan, and they found that Jobs had a rare form of pancreatic cancer. Nope, sorry. Uh, yeah, pancreatic cancer. But, and, and they were happy too because they were just doing this routine CAT scan and they caught it really early. But Jobs, he believed that he could make his version, his future, a like he had hopes that his own body could cure this cancer. And so he said, no, I'm not going to do surgery. And he started eating a strict vegan diet um, and large amounts of fruit juices and carrots. And then over time, the cancer spread. And then Jobs finally opted for the surgery, but it was too late. The cancer had already spread, and he died from that cancer. And as smart as Steve Jobs was, this trial was out of his control. It was too big for him. And he also shows that sometimes hoping in, in what we want, our future that we want, is really not credible, and it might not happen. And we get devastated. And so we're a lot like Steve Jobs. I'm a lot like Steve Jobs. Like, I think I try to control everything. I try to control not getting sick. 
having toilet paper, a healthy pregnancy, how others view me, how much money I make, my grades, my physical appearance. I try to control my entire life. And these hopes to control things, they often lead me to get tired, I get anxious, I get stressed, I get depressed, and I get frustrated trying to control a world that is out of my control. And not only does it cause me problems, but James picks this idea up in the book of James and says it's evil. It's rebellion against God and His dominion. James 4.13 says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a midst that appears for a little while, a little time, and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. And so I want us to ask ourselves, hey, what are you hoping to control that is really out of your control? And where are you really not believing that God is present and has dominion over all our trials? And how often do you ask yourself, really, how often do you think that you'll only do this or that if the Lord wills? How often do you disregard God completely? And so this National Institute of Health talks about people who fall off on the other side of the bandwagon, that they realize that, hey, they're not in control of this world. And they're hopeless, they're hopeless in their pursuit to control this world. And they turn to comfort. And that's our second one. We hope in comfort. And that's the easing, the alleviation of a person's feelings of grief, excuse me, or distress. So uncomfortable is anything that causes us grief, anxiety, pain. Um, we know what uncomfortable is. And so in trials, uncomfortable trials, um, we begin to hope and comfort. And so maybe, for instance, maybe, maybe your family is in debt and you're living paycheck to paycheck and all of a sudden the stock market just takes a dump, down 30%. And you find yourself wondering if you're going to lose your house, your car. Maybe you're at home and your spouse is depressed or you're sick for a long time. Maybe your marriage has been, is struggling and has been struggling. Maybe you're pregnant and not married and you're comprehending your future as a single mom. Maybe you're single and you're just grown older and you want a family. And uh, it's just uncomfortable, this position that you're in. And so in all of this, what we're saying is uh, at times we, we might be saying, you might be saying, God, we really don't believe that you are present and sovereign over this trial. And if you're present, you're not really that good, at least not as good as if I had fill in the blank. And so I'm not saying that we're never to seek comfort, but I am saying that simply leaving all uncomfortable situations and not recognizing that God is present and in control and good in our trials that we are faithless. We're living as godless individuals. We're living like God does not exist. And we're not seeing our great God clearly. And what we need to do is we need to see our great God clearly. And so ask yourself, where are you seeking comfort regardless of God's presence in uncomfortable situations? 
And like I said, we need to see our great God more clearly. Because in Christ, in Him raising from the dead, we have a sure hope. And it's based on a credible source, the Word of God. What God has said will happen. And this God is sovereign over all. He has the power to make what He says will happen, happen. And here's how hope in God works. It's really very, very simple. God says, this thing in the future is going to happen. Now trust me. And that thing in the future happens as God promises in God's time. And this is how all promises in the Bible work. God says, this is going to happen. And then later on, it happens. And there are thousands of promises in the Bible. And I would just encourage you to read your Bible and pay attention when God says something is going to happen. And then later on in another book, it happens. It's very incredible. And so I want to take us back to the garden. The garden is really where the beginning of this hope begins. That God in His goodness, He created this world we live in now. He created everything about it. The trees, the lakes, the fish. Um, he created us, the birds, the stars. Everything that exists, God created. And this creation, God says, is good. At the end of it, when he was done and he rested, he said, it is good. It's a good creation. It was God's idea. God did not ask us if he wanted, if he wanted for us to create a, uh, a world for us, but he just did it in his own goodness. And he created us in us, in, in this garden, knowing that it was good for us. It was good for us to be in this garden. And Adam and Eve, they made a choice. They decided to not trust that God was good, okay? To not believe that God was out for their good, and they chose to disobey God, and they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil because they thought that maybe God was holding out on them, and they did not trust God. And so they disobeyed Him, and for the first time, they acted evil. They disobeyed God. They, they did not act as God made them to act, And with this, they felt guilt and shame for the first time. And God removed them from his good garden. He kicked them out. And that's where we find ourselves, outside of this good garden, outside of this home that was made for us. And we're just like Adam and Eve. We also have rebelled against God. When God says, do not lie, don't steal, honor your parents. Look at the Ten Commandments. We've broke them all. We really have. We have disobeyed God. We've all sinned and we've fallen short. And we've not been the image bearers that God has made us to be. But God did not leave Adam and Eve without hope. And this is what's incredible. Is that he told them, Eve, you will have pain in childbearing. And Adam, you will have to work the ground. And you're both going to grow old and you're going to die. And so that's, that's tough to hear. It says, but there will be a descendant that comes from Eve. And this descendant will be a savior who defeats this deceiving serpent. And we see this promise in Genesis 3.15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so Adam in turn, he hears that uh, this promise 
And Adam and Eve live their days trusting that there will be this, this descendant from Eve that will defeat this deceiving serpent. And so you follow this, these descendants. You follow this family line, and it goes down to Abraham. Genesis 17, 5-7. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be called Abram. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And so this is God's promise to Abraham. But the thing is, at that time, Abraham did not have a son. He did not. And he waited and he grew old. He was like 100 years old. And Sarah was an old, barren woman. And in God's timing, this promise happened. Abraham had a son. And it's just an incredible picture that Abraham believed God, trusted God, and God fulfilled on his promise. And so through this family line from Adam and Eve down to Abraham, there's a lot of promises that God has given. And they lead us in one way or another to a central figure, to Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. That just means Jesus, the one whom God promised to come. That he is the king who defeats this deceiving serpent. He defeats death. He, he takes our punishment for our sin and all the guilty things we've done. And he abolishes them. He pays the debt. He's the king of this everlasting covenant, of this multitude of people that God promised to Abraham. He is God himself in the flesh. He is God became a man, lived a perfect, sinless life, not one sin, zero faults. And he took that, that perfect, sinless life, and he died on the cross willingly. He gave his own life up willingly and sacrificed himself and gave us his perfect record and took our punishment. And he experienced death, just as we will probably experience death. But the thing is that Jesus did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. He defeated the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God sends His same powerful Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see Jesus, to place our hopes in Him. and says, by the same powerful Holy Spirit, you too will be resurrected from the grave. And that's an incredible promise. And so he makes some new promises to us. That Jesus makes some new promises to us too while he was walking on this earth. And they're really just a continuation of some old promises that God's already made. But I want to pick out just three simple, easy promises that we're probably very familiar with. Um, but I want to listen to Jesus' words in these promises. One is the promise that we will receive everlasting life. It's John 3.16. It's very common. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so that's Jesus Himself promising that, hey, there is life after death. And by believing in Me and trusting Christ, you will have everlasting life. What an incredible promise. That's so much bigger than I can even comprehend. And another promise is that I am with you, Jesus says. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, 
says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that Jesus promises that he is with us to the end of the age through all trials. He is with us. Another one I like is John 14, 1 through 2. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And so it's just this idea that after death, there is this new heavens, new earth, and Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us. And so we can place our hope in what Christ says, what he says to us, that God is with us. And so our hope for control, we don't have to fall off on one side of the bandwagon to the other. That we can be satisfied by God who is the only one who is really in control and trusting him that he always is good in all things. And he does all things for our good and his glory. And we can rest from anxiously trying to control our futures. Proverbs 69 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so I love this picture. It's that I am to plan. I think. I plan for what I want my future to be. And I can run after it. I'm free to run after it. But at the same time, it is the Lord who establishes my steps. That My plans might not happen. And it is the Lord's doing. And I can rest and I can trust that God is always good. So I can make my plans, but I am free to trust the Lord. And so we don't have to live in fear of anything. We don't have to live in fear of our plans not coming true because God is good. Our, our plans not coming to uh, fruition because God is good. We don't have to live... Um, in fear of the coronavirus or cancer. If you get it, it's God's plan. And it might be His plan that you get some medical help and you recover from it. It might be God's plan that you die from it. It would be God's plan. But you get the opportunity as a Christian to make much of Christ by displaying your hope. Because a coronavirus or death is not the last word. And to die in Christ is gain. That's the promise that Jesus gives us. And then our hope for comfort. We're now deeply loved by our Creator. We're freed from shame and guilt and the condemnation of our disobedience against God. And we expect a level of discomfort, but we can also rest and know that these trials are for our good. They're for the tested genius of our faith. Therefore, our good in God's glory. And then these trials, they're working in the believer. They produce endurance. That sometimes we get knocked down really hard by trials. But then we get back up and we look to Christ. We look to His promises, to the promises of a future world without the trials that we're currently facing. And we get endurance to keep walking, to keep obeying God, walking with God, pushing in to know Him more. And it produces character. And character produces hope. And our hope is certain. 
And so trials are for our good. And we truly can be comforted knowing God that He is present in our trials and the best is yet to come. And so I just believe there's, there's room for repentance. There's especially room for repentance in my own heart. It's that I need to repent from trying to control the future. I need to repent from um, trying to get out of trials and not recognizing that God is present and He is in control of all these trials. I need to repent of forgetting that the best is yet to come, that I have a bright future in Christ, and that death is gain. And it puts my trials into perspective where I can still be engaged in this world, but I have an eternal living hope. And so I want to um, challenge us in one application. And that is to, in your prayer time, pray and confess to the Lord what you hope in, what you're running after. And allow God to refine those hopes. And by reading God's Word, you, you learn of this living hope. And it helps you to put into perspective the trials that you're going through. So, I love to read Revelation 21, 1 through 4, and we'll get out of here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from a throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so I love you, Legacy, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. God bless, and I will see you later.